So, uh, according to our friends at Bet Online, Oregon is the favorite to win the Pac-12 right now. Say what now? Well, I mean, I I guess I'll take it. I think I know what they're thinking. And a lot of mailbag here on a Friday. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin, D1 play-by-play broadcaster and most importantly, lifelong Oregon Ducks fan. Thank you for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks, which is why, if you haven't already, please like, comment, subscribe wherever you're listening to or watching the show. Big thank you to everybody out there who has done so already. Today's episode of Locked On Ducks is brought to you by Sling TV. Don't miss this, this week's matchup between the Ducks and, oh wait, no, they don't play this week. They play next week against UCLA. It's on Fox. You can get that on Sling TV. The TV you'll love for a price you'll love. Go try Sling TV today. By the way, those of you watching on uh, on YouTube, there appears to be a little bit of an orange tint in the background. I gotta say, don't really know what's going on there. Might have a, might have a bad light bulb up there somewhere, but According to our friends at Bet Online, Oregon football is currently the favorite to win the Pac-12. Not the Pac-12 North, which they were the favorite coming into the year and I assume have remained such throughout the course of this season, even after the loss to Georgia. They're the favorite to win the conference right now at plus 140. USC right behind at plus 160, UCLA plus 300, Utah plus 900. Now, explaining each of those lines, I think it is actually kind of simple to do. Oregon's schedule going forward is much more favorable than UCLA. And I think the Bruins are playing like the best team in the Pac-12 right now. Their defense is much improved. DTR is playing at a high level. They've got a really balanced offense. They're explosive. They're good on special teams with Kazmir Allen. They have a lot of things that they do well. They even have a good kicker. And we all know Chip Kelly hasn't always had a good kicker at the college level. But... They are a complete football team. However, they're 6-0, and and they've played away from home just once. And they have to go at Autzen Stadium next week, and that's a big reason why I feel confident in the Ducks. UCLA's only road game of the year has been at Colorado, and that's a bad football team, straight up. That is just, there's no way to sugarcoat it. That's a bad football team. How bad? Cal's a two-touchdown favorite in Boulder this Saturday. Yeah. Tough times for the Buffs, but they're on the prowl for a new coach. I guess for the Buffaloes to be on the roam, they're roaming. Buffaloes roam, right? They're roaming for for a new coach uh, around there. But Oregon's schedule, which I touched on uh, the other day when talking about the potential they get to the college football playoff, is more favorable because they've played a couple games on the road in Arizona and Washington State. They have two more remaining in Oregon State, who... We'll see how they perform against the Cougs this week. I think it's a really interesting test because Chance Nolan is now battling an injury, it seems, on a weekly basis. And if he's not there, I think the offense takes a little step back and they're relying on Branson to then fill his shoes. And he was solid against Stanford, but they needed a miracle late to beat a pretty bad Stanford team. So I'm really interested to see how the Bees perform and, and how they'll be playing going into the game formerly known as the Civil War this this year and whether or not... I feel more confident about that than I may have coming into the year. But the other tough games that Oregon has, there are three of them. 
There's UCLA. That, that game's at home. There's Utah. Yeah, that game is also at home. There's Washington. That game is also at home. They're road games that they've got left. They've got Cal. They've got Colorado. And they've got Oregon State. So I think the odds makers are looking at Oregon and saying they're playing a high level of football right now, which is true. The defense, though imperfect, is still putting up good numbers overall, making plays when they need to. And the offense is on a roll. It'll be a much bigger test against UCLA next week to see whether or not they're deserving of that confidence from the betters. And I think USC also is in a similar spot with regards to their schedule. They're on the road at Utah this week to win the Pac-12 championship. They don't have to win that game. Utah already has a Pac-12 loss and Utah after USC this week still has to play Oregon and they still have to play who is the other team that Utah still has to play? Or USC still has to play UCLA. Utah has to play somebody else who's semi-tough. I'm forgetting who it is. Washington State. They have to go at Washington State to Pullman, and we know how tough of a game that is, right? So USC's only tough remaining game in the regular season schedule after Utah is UCLA, which is on the road, but not a very tough road environment. It'll probably be 50-50 Trojans and Bruins fans in the Rose Bowl that day in what should be a really, really good football game. But I was pretty surprised to see this. I, I was pretty surprised. Not that Oregon's in the top three. They should certainly be in the mix. They should be ahead of Utah just because the Utes already have a Pac-12 loss, and that makes things much more difficult. I think these odds will come down a bit for Utah, as in they'll be more likely to win the conference in in these betting, mark, these betting makers' eyes, odds makers' eyes. There we go. If if they're able to beat USC this weekend, which I think they will, UCLA at plus 300, I think the biggest question they're looking at there is, what do they do away from home? And that's a very legitimate question. Now, they still have to play, you know, they already got rid of Utah. They have to play Oregon. They have to play USC. But the other games on, on UCLA's schedule this year, also very doable. And I think those are your top three right now. And Utah is certainly still in the mix. I, I am not writing the Utes off as a Pac-12 contender whatsoever. Those are your four teams that, that are in the mix and have a chance. I think right now it's honestly too early to tell because you have to see how these, you know, kind of round robin games are going to play out. Because Oregon's going to play UCLA, UCLA is going to play USC, USC is going to play Utah, Oregon's going to play Utah, and then the LA schools will meet at the end of the year. There are like a bunch of different, I didn't do the math, so that's why I'm not coming up with a number here, but you can probably figure it out. There are a lot of different scenarios, and Oregon not having a Pac-12 loss right now is certainly working to their benefit. I thought that was noteworthy, and I, I think that it's not the most surprising, but I was a little surprised that they were the favorite just because UCLA is playing so, so well and USC has been really good and they were ahead of Oregon as a betting favorite to win the conference coming into this year. So I think it's more reflection that the betting markets right now like the way the Ducks are playing. And when you look the way you're supposed to against teams you are better than, it tends to be the case. And does Oregon still have to prove it in those big games? Yep. UCLA, Utah, Washington. Got to prove it. Got to show up. Got to win those games. But before you can do that, most often, I think we learned this a year ago, teams more likely to show up in those games, look the way they're supposed to against opponents like Arizona and Stanford and Oregon getting some credit for that right now. So that's that's a uh, an interesting thing to follow. I'd be surprised if it stays there 
if they lose to UCLA, in fact, I imagine the Bruins would probably go up ahead of the Ducks. But, 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 but if Oregon beats UCLA, you never know. We'll we'll just have to ask. Speaking of the Bruins, a uh, bunch of mailbag questions to to wrap up this week's show, which I always love. Hop in the YouTube comments, hashtag AskLODPod on Twitter, or you can just DM me at Smalls underscore 55 or at Locked on ducks. You go in the in the direct messages or direct messages, as I was almost about to say. You can just at me on Twitter as well. Ask a question. I'll answer it here on the show. I'll always give you a full run through if you're asking a question in good faith. And just about all of you are. And I very much appreciate it. This one coming in from Evan Tucker. He asks, what do you think is the best case and the worst case scenario against UCLA? Well, the best case scenario is Oregon wins. The worst case is Oregon loses. Now that I'm done being facetious, I'll remind you this episode is brought to you by Underdog Fantasy and remind you that I will still answer that question in full on the other side of the ad read because Underdog Fantasy is the easiest place to spice up the college football season. You can go take Bo Nix over under passing total. You can take Bucky Irving over under Troy Franklin, anybody you can find on Oregon or any other team in the Pac-12. Frankly, you can check them out. Bet the over-unders there. It's easy to play and available in over 30 states. Pick between two or five players on the Ducks, another team, whoever you're feeling, decide if they'll finish higher or lower. Sign up with the promo code Locked On, one word, and underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. Deposit $100, get $100 free. It's that simple. Go to underdogfantasy.com or find the Underdog Fantasy app in the App Store or Google Play Store. That's Underdog Fantasy, promo code Locked On, one word. Get in on the college fo- football pick'em action today. So in serious now, I shall answer Evan's question about the best and worst case scenario against UCLA. And there, there is a shred of truth to my, my jovial comment before in that the best cases you win, the worst cases you lose. And I think that the, the reason there's just a little bit of truth in that is this is not a game where Oregon needs style points. Oregon has earned being the betting favorite right now in the eyes of those odds makers because of the style points against Arizona and Stanford. Ty Thompson got into the game both times. Style points against BYU. That sort of stuff matters when you win games like that. But in this case, with UCLA playing red-hot football, with DTR as a really good quarterback, Chip Kelly's got him working. The new defensive coordinators made a lot of adjustments. This is not a game where if Oregon you know, scrapes by with a last-second field goal a la Camden Lewis in 2019 at Autzen against Washington State, that is not a situation where I'm going to say, oh, man, it should have been my more, should have done that. Like, no, this is, this is a game. I expect the line to be tight. It hasn't come out yet, but it'll be in the single digits, or at least it should be. There is, I can't imagine it even be over a touchdown. Maybe I, Oregon will probably be favored because they're at home, but this is one of those games where you don't need to worry about covering the spread, having a big lead at half. Shouldn't expect to have a big lead at the half. Certainly, if they do, that's an excellent sign. And best case scenario, they blow out UCLA the way they did BYU. They keep the Cougars' offense or the Bruins' offense rather and check the way they did to the Cougars. The offense is firing on all cylinders. I don't think that's going to happen. This is a good UCLA team. This is a really good UCLA team. They did not beat Utah by accident. They didn't beat Utah because the Utes played some terrible, horrible, ugly, no bad 
no good, very bad football game. This is a UCLA team that is in that upper echelon of one of the best teams in the Pac-12, and you're going to get their best shot. I don't think Chip would ever admit it. I'm sure he wants to get a win in Autzen Stadium because he is 0-2 to this point, or 0-3, 0-2, He hasn't won in Autzen Stadium when he hasn't been Oregon's head coach, and I'm sure he wants to have that. But they do so many things well, and they're smart offensively. Zach Charbonnet is a stud. Oregon's going to have to tackle in space on number 24 in the baby blue really effectively because that dude breaks tackles. He's hard to get on the ground. He runs hard. Their offensive line is good. I think best case scenario for Oregon, they're able to do a little bit. I don't think it's a lot, but I think it's a little bit of what Stanford used to do to Chip Kelly back in the day. They're able to keep DTR in that UCLA offense sideline. They don't play quite at warp speed the way that, that Chip did back in the day, but they still like to play with some tempo. They can be very explosive in both the running and the passing game, and sometimes the best way to slow them down is to just keep them on the sideline. And the, the struggle for Oregon is going to be how that offensive line performs. I think best-case scenario, the offensive line is able to establish a ground game. You do that, you're in really good shape because this UCLA defense is not good yet, but they're much improved and they are very good against the run. They're second only to the Ducks this season in rushing yards allowed per game. I'll say that again. They are second only to the Ducks and we've watched their run defense this year in rushing yards allowed per game. That's the biggest matchup, I think, is how does that Oregon offensive line that ran the ball well against Georgia over 300 yards in back-to-back weeks with the running backs and Bo Nix carrying the football as well. How does that offensive line hold up against a stout Bruins front seven? Latu, the Washington transfer, he was, I think, going to medically retire and then pulled a Thomas Tyner and got cleared to play again and didn't go back to the school that he started with. I don't know if he wasn't allowed to. I'm not caught up on all those specific rules with compliance and such, but he's at UCLA. He's a playmaker. He's a linebacker. They'll rush him up the middle. They'll rush him on the outside. He makes plays in space. He is really, really good. And blocking guys like that, along with the rest of the players on that front seven, would be a really big help to Oregon's offense because it has been, frankly, the foundation of what they want to do, right? A lot of their big plays this year have come off of play action. Just look at the Arizona game last week. It's play action shot to Chris Hudson. Offensive line holds up, but it's set up by being able to run the football. And though I think Washington State's defense is better, I, I'm not sure if I want to go into a game feeling like Bo Nix has to just go straight drop back with no threat of a running game and, you know, win the game with, with his right arm. He can do that. We, we saw it against the Cougars. And this is certainly not as talented of a defense overall, but is that the ideal situation for Oregon? No. So I think that's best case scenario. They continue to run the ball effectively. It's not going to be 300 yards, but if Oregon get to 175 or heck close to 200, then Oregon will probably win that football game. I think that's best case scenario. Worst case scenario is the secondary has some lapses and chip sets them up for big plays. And if you watch UCLA play, Chip Kelly still does fundamentally, the looks are different than, than what he did for us way back when. 
But fundamentally, he still does the same few things, and that's he wants to run the football. It's a very physical Bruins team. Do not think you can push them around. Ask Utah how easy that is. It's very tough to do. Now, UCLA on the road, haven't really seen that this year. They're yet to be tested. That's the biggest advantage for Oregon in this game. But the biggest area where, you know, the the other side of, of your question, uh, Evan, is that the worst case scenario is Charbonnet's running the ball really well because that's what Oregon's strength has been. And then that sets up the play action. And that puts our corners on an island and it brings our safeties into play a lot. And UCLA could hit a couple of big plays. And that, I think, is really going to decide because of how these offenses have had success this year. It's been very balanced, but it's been very ground driven. So whichever team is going to be able to establish run, I don't think you have to run for 200 more yards. You just have to be able to present it as a threat, make the defense hesitate. And tell me this, you know, Evan, you're talking about the best and worst case scenario. How do you feel if I told you right now that UCLA is able to run the football and then can set up play action off of that and Oregon has to legitimately respect the run? You think Chip Kelly is going to be able to scheme a few guys open? The answer is yes, especially because he's going to watch the film too and know that that number two corner slot is not as strong as number one and Gonzo will probably follow Jake Bobo. We'll talk about that more next week leading up to the game. But I think that's the worst case scenario is Oregon loses this game if they're not able to contain UCLA's rushing attack. Because if if DTR, who's a ridiculous athlete, absolutely absurd, and Charbonnet get going on the ground, you just have a whole host of play calling opportunities at your disposal if you're Chip Kelly. And I think that's a place where he can put players in conflict and exploit the weaknesses of this Oregon defense that we haven't seen totally short up yet. We've seen improvement, right? Jula Florence has done some nice things. Dante Manning has been playing better. Triquez, I thought, was improved against Arizona. But still, that side of the field is where Chip Kelly is going to go. And if everyone else has to freeze because the rushing attack is so, so stout and the defensive line led by Dorless and Rogers and all those guys, DJ Johnson, if they're getting pushed around, I think that's how Oregon sees this game slip away from them. Um, but right now, until someone's able to convince me otherwise, I, I still think that that first real road test of the year is going to cause UCLA to to stumble just enough. But I think that's uh, that's best and worst case scenario there. So uh, all, all about the ground game. It's what those offense coordinators you know, Chip Kelly, de facto OC, wants to wants to do. They they both want to run the football. Okay, another question. We got a couple more. Hey Spencer, I have a question for the podcast. I know chances are very low here, but what are the odds guys like Noah Sewell and Bo Nix, who technically he put it in quotes, so I used air quotes here, if you didn't see, have another year left of eligibility come back? Kind of like Mariota did his senior season, we made the college football playoff. Also, I have a second question if possible. Of course it's possible. Ask me as many questions as you want. I'll get to all of them here on the show. Does Oregon have the depth to lose Thornton, Cardwell, Thompson, etc. if they leave for the portal, or should we expect to step back next season until Dan gets two to three recruiting classes under him? So let's begin with the first question. The comparison to Mariota and him coming back, I understand 
But right now, neither seems likely. The guy who could fall into that category is Justin Flo. Because the similarity between Mariota, who came back for a fourth season, he redshirted and then played for two years, and Justin Flo, who would potentially be coming back for a fourth, is both have battled injuries. And Mariota's draft stock went up and could have gone up if he had come back, which he did, to play a full season, be healthy, show what he's capable of. He wins the Heisman Trophy, gets the national championship game. Is he still a high draft pick if he doesn't do that? Yes. Is he the number two pick in the draft? Probably not because the injury concerns were were looming, right? Justin Flo, same sort of thing. He's been in and out again this year. Maybe he wants to come back and show he can stay healthy for a full year and and unleash him, the alter personality or alter ego that, uh, that, that I've heard him throw around in such in practice. So I think that's more comparable. Sewell hasn't really been hurt much. I know he's been dinged up a couple times over the last year, but nothing super major. I can't see him coming back. He, he's just such an NFL-ready body and projects as a first or second round pick. Probably trending like a second rounder with his performance this year, but overall, he's still got the body to play linebacker in the NFL. I think he'll take that chance. And Bo Nix, I don't want to be in a situation where Bo Nix could come back. And here's why. If Bo Nix is seriously thinking about whether or not to go pro or come back, he's thinking about what his draft stock is going to be. I want this season to have the most success possible. And if that happens, that means Bo Nix is playing his best brand of football. If Bo Nix is wanting to come back for another year and show he's capable of more, that means his second half, his second half has tapered off considerably. And I don't want to see that happen. Right now, Bo Nix is completing over 70% of his passes. He's mobile. He's six foot five. He's got a good arm. If you go an entire season in a Power Five conference, especially leaving a team that's about to fire its second coach in the last three years, and you go to another Power Five conference, even if it's SEC to Pac 12, and you put up really good numbers and you complete that many passes, you are going to get a chance to make a roster. And Bo Nix, this is his fourth year of college football. I don't think he necessarily wants to come back for a fifth. I haven't talked to him about it. I don't think he's talked about it much. He's focused on the next opponent, which is what I want to hear from our team's quarterback. But I I would love for Bo Nix to come back. If he plays well this year, decides to come back, I welcome him with open arms based on what we've seen so far because he's been really, really good. There's just no other way to look at it. He's been statistically, he's been good. He's been clutch. He's executing. He's making good decisions. Everything he's doing is, I I think, exceeding our wildest expectations for him, frankly. So I hope he's not in that position, but I I don't expect him to come back. And the difference is also between Bonix and Mariota is Marcus was a homegrown duck, right? So he had more of an affinity to the University of Oregon. Not that Bonix doesn't like the ducks, that he doesn't like being in Eugene or on campus or anything like that, but does he feel that level of institutional loyalty to the school that Mariota probably did, my guess is no. So if he continues to play well, I expect him to go pro, but I'd love to have him back. Second question that, that will, this is from William Perry, by the way, I don't know if I uh, mentioned that. Uh, Does Oregon have the depth to lose Thornton, Cardwell, Thompson, et cetera, if they leave for the portal, or should we expect a step back next season until Dan gets two to three recruiting classes under him? Well, the 2022 recruiting class is pretty darn good. The 23 class is also looking good. The 2021 class was quite good. 
With regards to Cardwell, if he ends up transferring, the running back depth is stacked. Jordan James is a true freshman. Bucky Irving has a couple of years of eligibility left after this one, right? He's got three, including this one, so he'd have two more. Noah Whittington would have, I think, at least two. He may only be one more after this one, but he's got more eligibility. Then you have Dante Dowdell, Dante Dowdell coming in as well. So I think the depth of that position would be fine. Go to Dante Thornton, a receiver. Troy Franklin will be back next year. Chase Coda is done, but Jurion Dickey, assuming he stays committed, which hopefully he does, is coming in and he'll be an instant impact guy. And when you look at the depth of receivers that Oregon's had commit over the last couple of classes, I think there are a lot of players there. Chris Hudson will be back next year. So at the very least, we know that Franklin will be back. Terrence Ferguson will be back. Maliki Matavau will be back. Chris Hudson will be back. That's a pretty good start to your skill positions with all the running backs that I just laid out on this other hand over here. This is apparently running back's hand and this is receiver's hand. I don't know why. I just determined that. So I don't think that that if those guys leave, we should look at it and go, well, you know, it's time to expect a big step back because most often the guys who are transferring are not high impact players for Oregon. And that's been a benefit to them in this new age of the transfer portal. They're not a school that's having their players poached by others. They're a school that is poaching other players sometimes like Christian Gonzalez or Bucky Irving. And sure, some talented players are leaving, but usually it's because they're not playing as much as they wanted to, right? Like Trey Benson left. That was a talented four-star running back. He could have been good. He could have been Jordan James this year, goal line back. He could have been a number two running back. I don't know. He, he's looked pretty darn good. But Oregon's been just fine without him. And that's why you want to recruit at a high level. You want to have depth. You want to have options. You want to be able to to survive injuries in the transfer portal. That's why we talk about recruiting so much. And it's really important. And I feel fine about Oregon's depth that just about every position, I'd like an offensive line commit or two in the class of 2023. And I'd like to get a big time edge player. Everything else looking pretty darn good. Uh, last question here, GWG 5640, that sounds like a brand of motor oil, asks, okay, we are five and one, indeed, kind of above my expectations with a new coaching staff. Here's a question. At the halfway point, how would you rate Coach Landing and his staff for this program? By the way, he spelled it correctly. Thank you. And on edit, in, 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 on, edit on the quick hits and screens to the perimeter, Chip is going to throw those at us all day in two weeks. He did it when he was here. He'll do it again. Hope Dan and Tosh have that on practice schedule. Yeah, it's got to be a top priority. UCLA has the athletes. I wonder if they get Casimir Allen more involved in the passing game. He's been quiet on that front. He's basically just a return specialist, but he could be, you know, he he's like a slightly faster version of Seven McGee, which is saying something because Seven's pretty fast, but Casimir Allen's acceleration, <laughs> zero to 60, like a Maserati or something not there. But I agree. Chip knows how to to set up a screen game. It's a part of their offense, right? It's very RPO heavy, just the way it used to be, right? The inside zone, the screens up top, counting numbers and all that sort of stuff. Easy reads for DTR. It'll be a real test for Oregon's defense. I think the biggest test certainly since Georgia, because Stetson Bennett is mobile, but not as fast as DTR. And they had a lot of quick hitters and a lot of success with it. And Oregon got better against Arizona, certainly. But this is a step above that, right? Arizona, it, it's nice to see progress. I, I certainly think they've gotten better on that side of the ball, defending those tunnel screens or quick hitters than they were up in Pullman against Washington State. But now you're introducing a quarterback who is not just mobile, right? Jaden Delora is mobile. Cam Ward is mobile. DTR 
is a runner who also throws at a high level now. But that dude is a ridiculous. If you haven't watched any of his highlights this year, he's a ridiculous athlete. Like easily, easily the most well-rounded athlete at the quarterback position in the Pac-12. Probably one of the best in the country. He's got straight line speed. He's got agility. He's got acceleration. He's twitchy. He's really, really impressive. And introducing that into the screen game is what makes them difficult to defend. It's no longer just, are you giving it to a running back or throwing it to the screen? It's, are you giving it to the running back? Is he pulling it out and running? Or is he then going to throw it out wide at the last second? And I'm with you that Oregon has to has to be better on, on that front. They have to be at their best defending that, that area of, of the Bruins' offense. How would I assess where they've been so far? They're right where I thought they would be from a record standpoint. The offense is above my expectations. The defense, kind of right at them. Maybe a touch below. I'd like it to be better on third down, but we've still seen dominant defensive performances that we just didn't see quite as often a year ago. I think they're continuing to get better. So I'll say their expectations or the expectations I had have been mildly surpassed, but are pretty close to what they were coming into the year. I thought Oregon would be 10 and two, and I thought they'd be five and one at this point in the season. So they're right where I expected them to be, but I think they've looked more impressive than I thought they would, particularly on the offensive side, Bo Nix and Kenny Dillingham are just, apparently a match made in heaven because the numbers they're putting up and the way this offense runs, I've talked about it all week has been really, really sharp. And I think that's been the most encouraging part is how the offense is played. I knew the defense still had questions on the back end. We've seen that play out at times, but they've done well to cover it. I mean, that game against BYU, that was a dominant defensive showing. You allowed seven points through three quarters to an NFL quarterback. They come out and do that against UCLA. That's a big time statement on defense. I don't think they will because the Bruins offense is better than BYU's. But if they can hold UCLA under 30 points, I think they'll have a great chance to win the game. Certainly if they're under 24, then uh, then I'll take the Ducks. But appreciate the questions. Keep them coming. Five more shows next week to go before the big showdown against the Bruins at Autzen Stadium. Can not wait. Appreciate everyone listening. See you next time. Have a great weekend, everybody. Have a wonderful rest of your day and go Ducks.